When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, amiguis, it's Brenda. We're speaking to Secretary Julian Castro about his exciting new role leading the nation's largest Latino-serving foundation, the Latino Community Foundation. We spoke to Secretary Castro right after Christmas. Christina Escobar joins the show as guest co-host. You will learn more about Christina in just a moment. I also have some exciting news. Tamarindo's new co-host will be joining me later this month. Delcy Sandoval, a longtime friend of Tamarindo, licensed therapist of Guatemalan American heritage, a passionate supporter of creativity, a community leader, and the founder of the Ocupacion podcast, which you should listen to right now. The entire Tamarindo team is excited to welcome Delcy, and you'll learn so much more about her very soon. Enjoy the first show of 2024. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast, hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a fitness coach, political nerd, and nonprofit capacity builder, and me, Delcy Sandoval, a Guatemalan-American licensed therapist and passionate creativity advocate. Together, we're here to uplift our community through powerful conversations with changemakers, creatives, and healers. Each week on the pod, we talk politics, culture, and personal development. Listeners call Tamarindo the advocacy and self-love podcast. Vámonos! Let's start the show. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tamarindo. I am so excited because we have a special guest co-host, Cristina Escobar. Hello, Cristina. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you too. And of course, Christina is no stranger to Tamarindo, past guest, amigi of the pod. We hung out. And last time we saw each other was at Raizado in Aspen. But for our listeners and a reminder for them, please tell the listeners, you do so many things. How do you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, me llamo Cristina Escobar. I am the co-founder and editor-in-chief of latinamedia.co, which is an indie publication uplifting Latina and Fem Latinx perspectives in media. Check us out. I'm also a freelance journalist writing at Roger Ebert and Pop Sugar and other places. And I'm a non-profiteer as my day job working to uplift the Latina, Latinx, Latina community. Of course, we wear many hats, don't we? And uh, <laughs> speaking of people that wear many hats, today we are talking to Secretary Julian Castro about his new role as CEO of the Latino Community Foundation. Secretary Castro was the youngest member of President Obama's cabinet when he was appointed Secretary of Housing and Urban Development in 2014. And in 2020, as many of us remember, he ran for U.S. president, where he lifted many progressive issues. I think, I personally think, surprised a lot of folks with how, how progressive and how bold he was. And he eventually endorsed Elizabeth Warren. And I often fantasized about a Warren Castro 2020 ticket. 
but here we are. You know, here we are. <laughs> but uh, before we get into our interview with uh, Secretary Castro, I would love to have this opportunity to talk to you, Christina, about something super exciting that you just had an opportunity to participate, which is that you did your very own TED Talk, wonderful TED Talk. We are going to link it in the notes of this episode. But please tell us your journey into making this goal a reality, because I do remember you talking about it when we last hung out. So tell us a little bit about how you made this happen. Yeah. So it had long been on my bucket list to do a TEDx talk. Um, And 2023 was the year that I finally made it happen. Um, And the talk is about the need for more diversity in film and media criticism. And, you know, as an entertainment journalist and someone who works in this space, I've seen a lot of attention, more attention, more understanding about the need for more diversity in front and behind the camera. But I haven't seen as much conversation about what I think is really the third rail of the Hollywood ecosystem, which is the stuff we read about the stuff that we watch, right? The reviews, the interviews, all of the pieces. And um, I don't think so will shock Camarindo listeners, but Latinas, Fem Latinxes were dramatically underrepresented in that space. So I wanted to draw attention to that and also call on folks to help participate in building the solution and paying more attention to what you're reading, looking at those bylines and supporting Fem Latinx uh, women of color critics, and then also in working towards systemic change because indeed the problems are systemic. So that was my goal. You know, I was really honored um, to be able to speak on behalf of our community for our community. I would say also it was really scary. (laughs) It was really (laughs) scary. You can't tell. Let me tell you, you did a phenomenal (laughs) job in this TED talk, but yes, I can imagine it took a lot of preparation. Yeah, I spent a long time working on it. And I think also, I don't know, uh, you know, we all exist on these internet streets and we're watching other people and you see their final products and their accomplishments, but you don't see all the failures along the way. You don't see the crises of confidence that maybe gets to there. And um, it was really hard. I worked on it for a really long time. I had a lot of anxiety about it. Um, And I would say that and one of the other themes that's part of the talk is about building in community. Like, I don't think that I was alone up on that stage. I was physically alone, which was, of course, scary. But I was supported by this really beautiful community of my family, my friends, my colleagues. And that really made a big difference to me in stepping out and speaking my truth and telling my personal story and professing what I think is an important message that the world needs to hear. And that journey was hard, but I was supported, right? I was supported by, before I even applied um, in terms of getting encouragement to apply and getting um, coaching on how to apply by an amazing group with um, Tammy Biddle and some other great folks. And then also through the process of the particular TEDx event I did, which was TEDx Cherry Creek, they really brought together an amazing group of women. We were all women up on that stage and we worked together as a cohort to build our talks and gave each other feedback. And I really felt like that was really 
powerful. And my group, we had a girl still in high school to like a 70-year-old woman, like who was a really big range, every race, every ethnicity. And so that was really cool to stand together with that group of women and encourage each other. Yeah. what It sounds like a phenomenal experience. I hope that people listening that have been thinking about it feel encouraged to, to look into how to get started in doing this. And um, again, we're going to share your, your TED Talk in the links of this episode. But I would love for you to just recap, what were the three recommendations that you left folks with when it came to how, you know, of course, many times there's like, we all know, right? Latinas are underrepresented in everything, you know, everything. Yeah. And you've outlined why it's so important that our voices be heard, but sometimes uh, we're really great at defining the problem and, 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 and staying in the problem, but it's a little hard to get to the solutions. And I think you had some great recommendations. So what were some of those? In film criticism, the problem is quite bad. White guys write about two-thirds of movie reviews, despite making up less than 30% of the population. And we don't actually know the numbers for Latinas specifically, but we do know that together, what they call women of color, which is Latinas, indigenous women, black women, and Asian women. All together, we write just 4% of movie reviews, despite making up 20% of the population. So what I encourage folks to do is first to just pay a little bit more attention. That is step one. So when you're reading something, look at that byline. Whose name is on there? You know, sometimes they have a little picture. You can look at their faces. Um and then when you start to see that probably you've been reading two-thirds white guys for, I don't know, your entire life, if not more, to start thinking about, okay, how can I change? How can I change my diet and find different folks to read? And so that's where you go out and you find the Tamarindos, you find the Latina media codes, you look at other great groups, like I really like Black Girl Nerds. I think I mentioned them in the talk. Um, and there's lots of great folks to go out and read and find. And so that's really step one is pay more attention. Step two is change your diet. And then step three is think about systemic change, right? Because we can all do our pieces as individuals, but the problems, they are indeed systemic. It's not just entertainment journalism, it's journalism at large, it's capitalism at large. And so how do we do that? We have to do it in community, right? We're not going to change big systems alone with our individual consumerist actions. And so think about ways that you can plug in to what other folks are organizing. And so there are a lot of great groups, journalist groups who are doing that. Um, I'm a part of the Latino Entertainment Journalists Association, LEHA. You can check us out. Um, there's the National Association of Black Journalists. There's more, like every group has their own pieces. And I would say like, look for them, look to see what are the campaigns they're running? How can you participate? How can we be part of like shifting that? I think part of it is our role in the marketplace as consumers, right? Demanding. And then the other part is working in a bigger, broader community. And so that's what I would encourage folks to do. Wonderful. And as you're speaking about working in a bigger and broader community, that makes me think of the Latino Community Foundation. And its mission is what is really important and kind of like you're saying, like these are systemic issues. You could do your part and that's very important. And that's why we're all doing our little part that we can. But we need to work together. And sometimes we need the infrastructure of a larger organization to help us with this. And that's what the Latino Community Foundation is here to do is to strengthen Latino-led nonprofits and to elevate the issues that matter to our community, including representation. So without further ado, let's hear from Secretary Castro all about his exciting new role as CEO of the Latino Community Foundation. You'll learn more about LCF and hopefully you'll learn some ways to plug in. So let's hear that interview now. 
All right. So first, I want to welcome you to Tamarindo, Secretary Castro. It is so wonderful to share this virtual space with you. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity to chat. Yeah, and we are chatting as you're about to embark on a really exciting new role. You're the new incoming CEO of the Latino Community Foundation. And I would love our listeners to, in case this is the first time they're hearing about uh, the Latino Community Foundation, I would love for them to know a little bit more about this role. And yeah, just tell us how you're feeling right now. You know, I'm excited. I can't believe we're already at the end of the year. And when January 1 comes around, I'll assume the CEO position. Uh, The Latino Community Foundation is a tremendous organization. It's actually the nation's largest uh, Latino serving uh, foundation. Uh, And it does a number of things from uh, giving grants to Latino-led organizations that are doing all types of phenomenal work in the community uh, to uh, initiatives like uh, the Nonprofit Accelerator, which tries to uh, improve um, the communications and the performance of Latino-led nonprofits to try to mobilize voters in California. Uh, it, it was founded by the San Francisco Foundation initially in 1989 and then became its own independent organization that went uh, statewide in 2016. So uh, it's doing tremendous work and I couldn't be more excited to be a part of it. Yeah. And, you know, it's no surprise to me that it started in 2016. I think that was such a, a, I think, is um, a watershed moment for the Latino community to really galvanize and, and look at how far we've come. And just thinking about the Latino Community Foundation with you at the helm, kind of taking a more national role is super exciting. So, so it was such exciting news to see your face in all of the announcements. And so I'm very happy that we have this opportunity to dive a little bit into this exciting new role for you. And what I'd like to ask you, I mean, this is um, a big shift for you. Of course, we, we know you as the, the the first time that I had an opportunity to meet with you was when you were running for office for president. You're running for president in 2020. We know you as you know part of the uh, Obama's cabinet, of course, a former mayor, elected official. So tell us about this big shift from politics to leading this foundation. And what are some of the parallels that might not be uh, immediately obvious to some of us? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I went into public service originally because um, when I went away to college, my brother Joaquin and I went to Stanford. It was really the first time that we had ever been away from home. And um, being there in the Bay Area opened up my eyes to Uh, to be able to see the community in San Antonio that I had come from, which was largely Mexican-American and largely low-income to low-middle-income, what what was so special about it and great, and then also the limitations. Um, I saw a community that had a real culture and a pride and and a sense of family and community to it. People still felt connected. But at the same time, I saw in the Bay Area a place that was uh, more economically prosperous and more uh, educationally advanced. And and don't get me wrong, it had tremendous challenges, deep challenges as well, but it seemed more ready for the future. And um, I went into public service because I had a chip on my shoulder about coming home and trying to lift up the opportunities that were available for folks who had grown up like I did. And whether it was mayor or as housing secretary uh, or running for president, I've always been committed to using my time and my effort to make sure that other people are able to reach their dreams. And so it's not too far of a jump, a leap 
um, because that's what the Latino Community Foundation does. It supports nonprofits that are doing excellent work to build the civic and economic power of Latinos and Latinas in California. And in the years to come, we hope to deepen that impact in the state of California and then expand it beyond California. Uh, so I see this as a continuation of the kind of work that I've been doing, not with a public title, um, but still making the same kind of, of impact. It's, to me, it's other focused. It's, you know, I think we all hopefully during our lives have an opportunity in many different ways to, to, to find a way to make an impact in other people's lives. And uh, for me, this is the latest opportunity that I have to do that. Yeah, so it'll be really exciting to see more of you in California. And it's great to to know that background that you actually spent some time living here in the state. Um, and maybe just for a moment, I, I'd like to just reflect on um, the fact, well, I think Florida, Texas, and California, that's where most Latinos in the U.S. live. So I do think it's very important to to kind of replicate the great work that's happening in California nationally. What, what can you say about, um, about California specifically and, and then you bringing your background from Texas into this? Like, why are these two states so important and how is this going to be an opportunity for a larger shift nationally? You're right. I mean, we see Latinos and Latinas are everywhere now in the country and especially in these big states like California, like my home state of Texas, like Florida, also uh, Illinois, uh, New York. And then in in very um, important states on the electoral map, like Arizona and Nevada, where their vote makes a real difference in terms of who becomes president and who controls uh, Congress. And so. Uh, to me, the kind of work that has been done with nonprofits uh, to build civic power, to build economic power, uh, to make sure that more uh, Latinos and Latinas are able to uh, graduate from high school and go on to college, able to afford a home, um, or at least you know uh, deal with this housing affordability crisis. Uh, make sure that uh, people are able to start their small business if that's what they want to do. These are these are opportunities and challenges that that of course are not limited to California for the Latino community. They are everywhere, and there's been great work that that uh, LCF has supported. That I look forward to finding those places in other states where it makes sense. Uh, to to make the same kind of investments. Yeah, and you know, I think it's we made a, an important point about investing in in nonprofits, Latino led nonprofits, because they are so critical to um, helping Latinos become informed members of the democracy, right? To be educated, to get to get that financial attainment, to get that, get all of that's going to be incredibly important, especially in, in the year that you're choosing to take this role. Um, and I want to just talk for a second about, you know, wh why do you think it matters that we invest in Latino nonprofits? And what do more people need to know about philanthropy when it comes to Latino organizations? The destiny of our country is intertwined with the destiny of the Latino community like never before. According to the census, uh, one out of every four uh, children, so people under the age of 18, are already Latino or Latina. And one out of five, almost one out of five uh, uh, people overall, uh, I think we're at about 19% right now. That means that the only way the country can do well in the future is if Latinos and Latinas do well. 
and so their destinies are really intertwined. I see this work of Latino Community Foundation as making investments that will help ensure not only that the Latino community succeeds uh, in the private sector, in the nonprofit sector, in the public sector, um, not only that we implement policies that are fair and that represent the interests of Latinos and Latinas, um, but also it is a way of, of creating a brighter future for the entire state of California and the entire country writ large, um, because the only way uh, that the country can succeed is if the Latino community succeeds. If they don't, then it's going to be a lot harder for us to thrive in this 21st century. Yeah. And, and then also, I think it's uh, important to call attention to how much little investment there's been by philanthropy into the Latino community. So, um, again, another one of the important part of the important work that Latino uh, Community Foundation has championed is how we need to invest more. Philanthropy needs to do a better job of investing in in Latino led nonprofits. It's great to know about the accelerator program because I'm um, going kind of going back to earlier. I mean, what, what a lot of nonprofits need is that infrastructure. So it's really exciting. The LCF has recognized that and, and provided these opportunities for smaller Latino led nonprofits to have that investment in the infrastructure. And so very exciting to, to see you take that call on. What are you most excited about? Well, I'm most excited about uh, getting started and um, most excited about getting to really meet all the partners of the Latino Community Foundation and to be creative. Um, it's done a lot of great work so far, but you know, at, at, uh, at every juncture in my own career, whether it was serving on the city council or mayor or HUD secretary, I've, I've loved to be collaborative and also creative to make impact. And so I can't wait to get started to figure out the best ways to do that. Uh, you mentioned uh, philanthropy. You're right. Like the latest figure I saw was only about one percent of uh, of big philanthropies dollars go into uh, Latino led organizations, and that's not nearly enough. Um, at the same time, the Latino Community Foundation is not waiting for these organizations to change their tune. Um, it is doing two things that I think are going to make a profound difference in the future. That's uh, the Latino giving circles, basically creating giving circles of um, people uh, in Northern California, Southern California, all places in between the state that these are Latinos and Latinas, uh, many of them um, professionals that end up um giving at least a thousand dollars a year and in that giving circle they might they determine where they want those dollars to go um a second initiative is called the legacy circle and that has that's basically uh, uh bequests and larger gifts uh to do the same thing all of this is creating the backbone of a network of latino and latina philanthropists in our country so people who are concerned about our community, who understand the community, who are donating to good causes within the community. Um, we need big philanthropy to change, but we're not going to wait also for them to change. We're going to go do as much as we can ourselves. 
Yeah. Okay. So listeners, this is your invitation to get involved and get participate in the Latino Giving Circle. So that's what I'm hearing because I've been hearing about it for a long time and now it's a call to action. I'm going to finally contribute. <laughs> so, um, and of course, I've, 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 I come from working at Unidos US, you know, NCLR, National Council of La Raza. So you're preaching to me in the choir here, but this is finally me going to like make that investment because it is really exciting to have that here in California. So very, very exciting work. Well, um, I am ready to ask you our rapid fire questions that we ask all of our guests that come to Tamarindo. And again, just want to thank you and congratulate you for it's such a it's a congratulations to LCF. Congratulations to California is what it is. (laughs) Um, And we're so excited to have you. So uh, the first question, and there's no right or wrong answer. So anything that comes to mind, what are you celebrating? What gets your matraca? Uh, well, these days you're celebrating, of course, Christmas and being with family, all the joy of that. I'm super excited. In fact, my son is about to turn uh, nine on the 27th of December. Uh, so that's super, you know, super happy occasion. And um, this coming year, my my twin brother, Joaquin, and I are going to turn 50, uh, which is oh my God, a big milestone. Year. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I feel like, you know, personally, I'm celebrating um, the journey so far and then celebrating, hopefully, you know, uh, God willing, everything to come Um, and all of the people in my life that are so special. And for our country, hopefully um, a year of more healing and hopefully more, more unity than we've seen. Yes, absolutely. Let's let's definitely call that in. And then what goes in la basura? What are you done with? It could be big, it could be small. What are you canceling? What goes in la basura? Ah, all of this um, division and uh, this uh, white supremacy that some people in the country have been stoking. Um, I know that the vast majority of people of all different backgrounds are, are good people who believe that everybody in our country should have a fair shot. Uh, at opportunity and that, um, but everything that some politicians have been stoking misrepresents that. Uh, I hope that we can throw that out in the trash. Uh, I know that's maybe that's Pollyannish, but little by little, I think that, that we can turn the corner on that. Yeah, yeah, because the 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 consequences are far too too much. You know, like the the, the fact that that is, that we're it seems to be we're going backwards in in that regard is detrimental to the, the the unity that you're calling for. So yes, absolutely. That goes in la basura. And then, I mean, you're taking on this, this big new role. You're going to have to fly all the time into, into California. How do you stay grounded? How do you keep your balance? Well, um, just to remember why I'm doing this in the first place, um, because I feel uh, tremendously fortunate to have had the opportunity in my life that I've had and and i know that through my efforts i can make a difference for other people to have that so just i try to remain grounded and put it in context of you know what am i doing here um but other than that also it's just trying to get time to relax and enjoy friends and family as much as possible you know everybody that kind of grounds you you know probably the 
the best people to do that uh, are uh, my kids. Uh, they don't mind telling me uh, when uh, when I'm uncool, basically. Yeah. They'll definitely keep you grounded, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yes. Well, um, lastly, I just want to give you this open platform. Is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with? Anything that that you'd like, just any message or whatever you're feeling, we'd love to hear it from you. Well, uh, Brenda, thank you so much for having me. And I would just ask listeners to look into the Latino Community Foundation. A lot of people uh, have heard about it. A lot of people have not. Uh, this is about building up the civic and economic power of Latinos and Latinas, and it has made tremendous strides. And I hope that uh, people out there will consider uh, participating in the giving circle, one of the giving circles or the legacy circle, uh, and to create a brighter future in a very concrete way for our community. And in doing that, create a brighter future for the state of California and for the country as a whole. Okay, so that was so wonderful. I'm so grateful to uh, Secretary Castro for speaking to us, especially right after the holidays and um, just really exciting things to come for the Latino Latino Community Foundation and for the nation. Because as as Secretary Castro said, you know, when the Latino community thrives, so does the country. So exciting things. Now, Christina, welcome back to our closing here. I want to take advantage that this is the first episode of the new year, 2024. We're recording it at the end of 2023. So it's like one of those times where we kind of take stock of, of, of the what the year was like and what we want to accomplish in the next year. But, you know, bringing your critic lens and your media consumption lens, I'd love to hear from you. You know, what is a, it could be one or two, several things or one, whatever, whatever speaks to you. But what gets your matraca for 2023 as a pup? culture or a media moment that we need to all celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had a lot of, I feel like, really great years. And there was um, a lot of really great shows and pieces. I think of like Bad Bunny on SNL. I think of Jenna Ortega and Pedro Pascal having breakout years and representing our community. But one I really want to highlight is the final season of Reservation Dogs came out this year. And I... Love this show so much. If you haven't watched it, it's on Hulu. It follows a set of four indigenous teens. It wrapped this year, its third and final season. And, you know, we talk a lot about cancellations in our community. Um, But I really felt like here, Reservation Dogs got to tell a full and complete and beautiful story from a completely indigenous perspective, you know, the, all the writers on the show were indigenous, the showrunners, so many of the cast members, like everybody who made sense to be indigenous was indigenous. And it was such a beautiful show, such a funny show and a show with a voice that we just, man, we just never really get to see in mainstream media, which was a really strong indigenous take. And so for folks who haven't watched it yet, I absolutely encourage you to, you know, I've seen it at the top of a lot of end of best of year lists. And I just, I am an evangelist for this show. Please go watch it. It's so good. Yes. A hundred percent. It is a fantastic show. And, and, and you're right. Like sometimes we mourn when a show that we love is ending, 
But in this case, I mean, sometimes too, I get sad sometimes when something continues when it was so perfect because I know they mm. just can't capture that magic or it's not meant to be captured in an extended. And, and, and then you kind of like get these exaggerated versions of the characters and, you know, things that, that, that you could see is more the pressure to continue than it is the the commitment to the story. So I do love that this this fantastic show was able to wrap in such a beautiful way. So absolutely agree with that matraca. Now, um, in terms of your basura, is there anything that you're done with from a media pop culture perspective that you don't want to see come back next year or this this year in 2024? Yeah. I mean, our shows are still getting canceled and I'm still very frustrated about it. So we had a great show in The Horror of Dolores Roach this year come out um, from Bloomhouse starring uh, just, you know, an amazing, amazing cast, Justina Machado. I love her and she's in full force and it didn't get a second season. And I just feel like it is pastime. Like I want to throw in the basura the idea that our shows are dispensable because they are not. They are absolutely not. We are hungry for our stuff. We show up in numbers for it. Other folks uh, are showing up too. And I want to see more of that. I want to see second seasons. I want to see big audiences. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm done with the cancellation narrative. I'm over it. Please stop Hollywood. We're done. Yes. I, I mean, obviously, yes, we want our shows and our stories to be told. I'm curious how you feel about this. I mean, the other big thing that happened in media this year is, of course, the actor and writer strikes and just like a a lot of conversations about streaming services and, and representation and and fair wages. I mean, this was the year of so many other strikes beyond what we saw in entertainment. And one of the factors that I think contributes to the um, challenges that our, our, our community faces when it comes to media is that there's just so much, so many streaming platforms. There's so much to see that it's very hard to get the community to, around. It's, it, we're, it's, we're no longer watching like the regular channels on TV and we can all talk about the new episode that came out on Wednesday. Let's talk about it on Thursday at work. Like that doesn't exist anymore because people watch things on demand and there's so many options. Are, what are your thoughts on maybe what might happen as a result of all this? Are there going to be fewer streaming services? Is that going to resolve the the abundance of options? Yeah. So first to touch on the strike issue, I was able and honored to be able to cover a lot of the strikes, both the writer's strike and the actor's strike. And I will say that one of the things that is a point of concern for me and also for the folks that I interviewed is that like, in this moment in Hollywood where they were finally, it felt like opening the doors and new creatives were coming in was at the same time that wages were went down dramatically. Cost of living, you are no longer getting the same in residuals and those sorts of things that make those types of jobs careers, right? And not just gigs. And so I do have a big concern that as Hollywood, because I do think it is going to retract, it grew so quickly, made so many new shows, so many new streaming services that we're probably going to have still plenty to watch, but less new shows. I want to make sure that our communities are not the ones that are double impacted, right? That we went through the strike and then we have less opportunities at the end. 
So I think that's a real point of concern as we move forward to make sure that we actually hopefully get an increase in our percentages right in front and behind the camera because we're still vastly, vastly underrepresented. And even as Hollywood grew and we got all those more shows, the percents of Latinos did not grow. We stayed the same, which meant more opportunities as the whole number pie grew. But as the pie shrinks, I want to see us keep pushing and getting more. So I think that is one thing. Another thing to put a note for is that Latinos actually do show up. The numbers show that we do show up for our stuff. So our stuff getting canceled is not necessarily on us as a community. Like, yes, we can go out and watch and be more conscious consumers. And I I implore folks to do that partly because it just makes you feel better. Like when you're watching your community instead of being erased, if you're conscious and watch our folks and our stories, it is nurturing and it is a type of self-care and it can be really beautiful and wonderful. So I suggest just doing that for yourself. Um, but then also part of the problem is who gets the marketing budget, who gets the big production budget. I always think the perfect example of this is Selena, the series, thinking about how it got a short drifted, a very short budget. And you can tell by looking at it that the production value isn't as high. And like Selena is a famous icon of our community. And if she can't get the budget, if her story can't get the budget, it doesn't give me a lot of hope for um, our other stories. So I would say that the Hollywood machine really needs to look at what is making money and what is making money is indeed stories that reflect our actual world that we live in, which is not just white guys, right? Like it's the whole rest of the universe of people out there. And so we want to see that. Audiences want to see that. We want to see ourselves and we want to see the world that actually exists. Um, and so I would encourage folks to think about in Hollywood how to portray that in a way that is meaningful and beautiful and authentic and complicated, right? We don't want to pretend like we're all angels. We're not. Uh, we want to engage with our culture in meaningful ways that are as, that is both pushing us to be better and acknowledging of the truth and celebrating the joy and the beauty that's there. Yes. Very good. Very good. So now what do we want to call in in 2024? What do you want to see more of? What can we be... Um, advocating for? What are we calling in this year? I want to call in Latina voices in particular. You know, um, I don't think Latinos are more sexist than anybody else, but it is definitely a part of our culture as it's part of the culture at large. And I really love seeing our women and our femmes speaking up and telling their stories and speaking their truths. You know, we do that at Latina Media Co. I know you do it at Tamarindo as well. And I just think it's beautiful. And there's so many amazing, wonderful voices to see and to listen to. And we are out here speaking up. And so I know insofar as my life, I've done work to like read more Latina authors and watch more Latina shows and follow more Latina journalists. And it has been really nurturing and beautiful for me. And so I would encourage listeners to do that as well. And the more we do it, you know, the more mics we will have, the more book deals we will get. And it's um, it's really wonderful. I want to call that call that voice in and up and out. Yeah, no, I love it. And you know, one thing too, uh, for folks that are listening, if you want to, if you already 
criticize movies and shows if people took because often I'm that person in my friend group they ask me like is this good and I always have opinions and and I know I've been meaning to do this but I haven't yet but I just want to encourage all of you could do with me is you can pitch to write for Latina Media Coast so Latinas out there listening femmes out there listening if you've got your perspective on on the shows and movies something that that is standing out for you pitch Latina Media Co where can folks find this website so it's latinamedia.co, period, co, um, C-O. And so definitely check us out. And yes, pitch us. We are in the business of encouraging Latina voices. So you don't have to have written anywhere before. We love publishing people who are doing it for the first time and connecting you, frankly, with our group of writers. We're 50 plus and growing every day. And some folks have decades of experience and some are really getting their first bylines. And it's beautiful because folks read your stories. They talk about it. Our writers engage, like on social media, all of that stuff. And so if something is speaking to you, whether it's something you want to celebrate or something you want to be like, hey, I've noticed this thing in media and it's really bothering me. Um, we can be your outlet. So check us out. Latinamedia.co is the website. We have a pitch guide on there with instructions on how to do it. And we respond to every single pitch, every single one. So you will, it will not go out into a void. It will come to me and I will get back to you. And it would be an honor to work with more of the Tamarindo audience and community. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. So that's an assignment for all of us. Now, just real quick, because I, I've been trying to find someone to speak to th this about, but it's like, again, the problem is like, I don't know who's watching this, probably no one, but, but just in, ca you probably, in case you, you haven't seen it, you can look out for this, but if you've seen it. So on Netflix, there was a, recently a movie called La Familia. Have you seen this yet or heard about it? I haven't, Brenda. Dígame. I'm not surprised because it's one of those like you know, it's a, it's. A, I think it's it looks like it's Mexican. I, I mean, it is Mexican. I think it's but it's produced by Netflix, and it's very interesting because it takes place within the Valle de Guadalupe, which is here and um, not far, four hours away from LA in Ensenada in Baja California. But it's one of my biggest pet peeves in movies. Which Christina, you wrote a wonderful um, piece about accents and getting accents right or wrong uh, mm. on a show earlier this year, <laughs> earlier in 2023. So in this movie, I mean, first of all, I should write the, uh, the they should write a piece about this movie because truly nothing really happens. But one of the things that really annoyed me is that it's a, a man and his, his adult daughters. And one of the daughters is married to a white guy, of course, very common. And you hear that one of her complaints is about her kids, like um, speaking English all the time. And I get the sense that maybe I couldn't quite figure this out because this is also a very common experience in, um, in the border. Like it, it could be that they live on the, US, on the Mexican side and then the kids go to school in the U.S. side. That's very common in San Diego. But whatever the case is, these, these teenagers, they spoke their English with a very heavy accent, a very heavy, like, Fresa Mexican accent. That just wouldn't be the case if they were these, they would speak perfect fluent English. They would speak English to each other as siblings. That shit annoys me. So anyways, I just got to say that goes in la basura for me. <laughs> Absolutely. The lack of attention around accents and language is disrespect. Like it is a clear sign that the people who are greenlighting these projects, um, 
do not care about speaking authentically to us. They don't care about our experiences. They don't believe that our cultural knowledge is valuable. Like it's a clear sign of disrespect and you see it all over Latino media. You see it also in other forms. So like if you watch movies set in Africa that are made here in the U.S. or different parts of Asia, you'll see it as well, like this sort of like mismatch of accents with no real care and attention. And they they can indeed do it, right? They can hire folks. They can hire language experts. There's a whole bunch of ways that they do this with, say, like English dialects, right? <laughs> like you see a huge amount of care and attention to that, but not to Spanish, not to global South accents. And it is infuriating. I'm with you. Throw that one in the bus. Yes, absolutely. Well, with that, I just want to say thank you so much, Christina, for helping co-host this episode of Tamarindo, the first one of 2024. And just want to wish you a happy new year and much success. And everybody go pitch your stories to Latina Media Co. Gracias, Brenda. Thank you so much for having me. Ciao. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez with production support by Karina Riverall of Sonoro Media. Jeff Ricards produced our theme song. To learn more about us and get in touch, go to tamarindopodcast.com. Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.